This is the sound of a man who cannot think of an introduction. Hey, folks. It's your boy here. The one and only Adam Pecora. Customer services resident bad boy. That emphasis is tough to keep going. <laughs> uh, what's up? This is Requiem for a Tuesday. How the hell are you? I'm going to ask you again. Feeling all right myself? Not that you ever ask. We got a loaded one today. You boys keeping up with the topics. We're still doing these short format episodes for now because I'm in a crunch. All the time, it seems like. I don't know how it's happening. (laughs) Uh, But at least we got plenty to discuss today, ladies and germs. Uh, The studio, the print thing I'm working on, if you've been following along, uh, hasn't really made any progress. (laughs) So this week, I'm going to try to get a bunch of that in. Maybe we can get... A full-length episode in. It's been a few weeks again. So we'll see. Could happen. I'm not going to make any promises here. Never really seems to go well when you do. You know what I mean? But uh, before we dive in to today's festivities, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to plug it up. I'm going to stick my finger in your butthole. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe to Requiem for a Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, all of them. Do it all. Get it everywhere. (laughs) Listen to me 20 times a week on every possible thing. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, I assume it's just called Requiem for a Tuesday. I don't know. Somebody should check and let me know. (laughs) Uh, a little bit of bonus content on there. We got a video episode. We got the Wolf X music video. Check out the Wolf X music, the multiplex music. Listen to Justice's show. Microwave Minutes. Available everywhere as well. The music's streaming everywhere. Would normally be. Uh, we got the email, I guess, rfatpodcast.gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at adam.rfat, and you can get the exclusive custom-made Requiem for a Tuesday merch at rfat.bigcartel.com. And you can find links to all of these wonderful products linked in the description below for your convenience. Woo! Wasn't that lit? (laughs) I thought that was fun. Damn, I should check out all that stuff, huh? What about you? (laughs) All right. So what are we doing here? I don't know what order I want to do this in. That's really the whole thing. But I guess that's my job and not really your concern. We'll just dive right in to Unstuck in Time. I'm not a big documentary guy. I don't know. They're they're just like super hit or miss, I feel like. They either really, really nail what they're trying to do or at least what they're trying to inform you of. Maybe it's not always necessarily that well put together. 
Uh, but, I mean, that's due to a number of factors. They're typically significantly lower budgets. Uh, almost always are like, well, I guess this doesn't help it. I was going to say they're almost always passion projects. But if it's a passion project, shouldn't you do a better job? You know, maybe a lot of documentary filmmakers just aren't very talented. I suppose that could also be the case. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like documentaries are also better in a series format, which doesn't always work out either because they end up being too long. You know, like all those ones on Netflix that are eight to ten episodes could really just be four to five. Kind of like, uh, what's that cult? Nexium. <laughs> the Nexium documentary on HBO was very good, but then there, there was like three episodes in a row where they just say all the same stuff over and over again. Uh, and whatever happened with the second season of that, which I don't really understand, I don't know. But that's a good example, I guess, where it's like, this is really good, really informative. They got people involved with it. Like, there's actual footage of stuff, too. There's nothing more than I hate than in a low-budget doc where it's just voiceover and then, like, image rollover. It's like, this would be a shitty YouTube video. Y'all are calling this a movie? You know? But anyway, regardless, that is not the case here. We're talking Unstuck in Time, the Kurt Vonnegut documentary, my favorite writer, uh... Saying that as a guy who doesn't read that much, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm more than halfway through his books, but boy, have I not picked one up in about a year and a half. I got to say, I remember when COVID was happening, like, oh, I'm going to probably start reading pretty soon. Things are getting boring. You know, next thing you know, it's a year later and it's like, yeah, I, I might start reading some books pretty soon. It's like, oh, will you? I don't know. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I got to start reading books on the bus, I guess. I got to be that guy. Because I can't, I just find it so weird to just sit in your house and read a book. It just feels like a house isn't a setting to read a book, which sounds insane as I'm saying it. Like, I understand, but that's how I feel. And feelings are real right all that matters is how you are to you and that's the truth now so blame the current state of things okay <laughs> so this documentary was made by robert b weedy i want to say is how you pronounce it Weedy. i don't know but you may recognize that name from frequent Curb Your Enthusiasm credits, which I was like, oh, fuck, that is this guy. Because when I saw who made it, I was like, why is that name familiar? Why is that name familiar? And then halfway through it all gets acknowledged. So let's dive into this thing. This is a very honest documentary, which I very much like because, like me, this was... Roberts. I'm just going to call him Robert because I'm not going to keep saying the wrong name the whole time. That's really annoying. Uh, <laughs> was Vonnegut was his favorite writer. Now, he was in high school like when Slaughterhouse-Five came out, I believe it was. Maybe one of the novels in between. I'm not sure. But that's like his fifth book. So, you know, regardless, he read it in high school and changed his life, whatever. 
as he became a filmmaker, got in touch with Vonnegut. Vonnegut wrote back to him, which I got to say sounds like it would be crazy, but I feel like you can get touch, get in touch with an author. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe not like for this show at the current level of it, but you know, we get a couple more hundred subscribers on here. I could probably get some authors on the show. So, you know, tell your friends if you're want to listen to a show about books. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he's like, let's do a documentary. Let's do it. And Vonnegut's like, sure, I'm in. What do we got to do? And they start linking up, which is crazy. Like you're just immediately friends with this guy. Pretty crazy. And the relationship kind of maintains over 20, 30, 40 years. How, whenever it starts to whenever Vonnegut passes away. And so the documentary has a very personal element in it, and the filmmaker has included himself in it, which could easily be a crutch or just a negative in general, like, oh, you're making this about you. But that's really not the case here. It's the personal nature of what's going on. You know, just his straight-up long-term involvement and friendship and he was making the documentary for like 30 years. It was supposed to come out in like the 80s. And it didn't come out for like 10 years after he died, I believe. Maybe more? I think it came out in 2020. I don't know. Uh, it's rentable on YouTube, by the way. Three ninety nine standard definition. If you're paying an extra buck for high def, you're an idiot. That's all I'm going to say. We'll move on. Uh, <laughs> but it it also chronicles Vonnegut's life basically from childhood, you know, until he's actually on camera with Robert. And then that all happens as well, but that's actually filmed. You know, there's a lot of, there is archival photography with voiceover, but there's also actual interviews that are being filmed. There's a lot of people in this movie, uh, his family. And they all pretty much tell the truth and the stories all line up. Basically, pretty difficult guy to be around. <laughs> uh, you know, he wrote these crazy, intricate books where they're developing new languages and religions. And it has to be funny, but prescient, but also science fiction, but also funny, but tragic. Like, there's just so much going on. So, like, what's going on in this guy's head has to be a fucking nightmare. You know, there's no doubt. Uh, they go into his stuff with the war, uh, what it was like to be captured in Dresden, and how he kind of like buried all that deep down and acts like it doesn't bother him, but you can kind of see right through it. Uh, there's a ton of stuff of like his speeches over the years, public appearances, and they're just like, hey, like he was a genius, but he was difficult, and it's like that all adds up, and. Basically, since the doc never came out, he just stayed in a relationship with this Robert guy. And he's like, here's more stuff. Here's more stuff. So he just kept giving him things like, here, just throw this in the dock, throw it in the dock. And years and years and years go by. And now there's more than enough for it to happen. So maybe the long term doc really just is what you need to do. Cause like when we were Kings took 35 years to make or whatever. And it is a masterpiece. I would barely even call it a documentary so much as just like, this is excellent stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just a great movie 
period. You don't need to put the asterisk of documentary on it. And that's partially true for this Vonnegut doc. Uh, I would still, you know, probably don't tell people you're not watching a documentary if you're going to put this one on. Um, but it stays entertaining throughout the whole thing. And if you're a fan of the work, I mean, that really just sells itself. Because uh, they talk through the books. They talk through everything. The drawings. I mean, really, just you name it. You learn stuff you haven't learned about him before. Or at least I did. I mean, I don't know how much stuff is really out there. Is there a biography that I'm not aware of? Possibly, you know. But it's a great doc, and it's like two hours, so you can really just pack a lot in instead of reading some dumb fucking book. (laughs) Am I right? Uh, But it was just fantastic, and he was a great man. I love you, Kurt Vonnegut. Rest in peace. I hope to one day return to Indianapolis to attend your museum. All right. (laughs) Next up, we got one that I've been wanting to see now for a real long time. I want to say I first learned of this either on like VH1's I Love the 80s, which to this day, the 70s one wasn't as good as I remember it. I don't know. I, I, I really want an archival of all of these. I've said this on the show 100% multiple times, but I'm going to keep doing it until somebody somewhere hears this and gets something happening, okay? We need remastered, f- fully compiled, I love the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all parts, let's do it. The most informative thing I probably watched as a child that changed my life forever. So can we just get those back, please? Thank you. All right. PSA over. But this movie is The Stuff from 1987. I I wish I remember where I found this, but literally I've been wanting to see this movie since I was like 10 or something. I guess just never got around to it. I couldn't really find it anywhere. DVDs are hard to come by. Things like that. Um, this will technically have spoilers, but you know, it's 25 years old. So 35 years old. Jeez Louise. I was going to say, how is it 25 years old and I'm 27? Uh, anyway, (laughs) this movie is, hmm, how do I word this? Nicely, I guess I really can't, loaded with potential. The concept is outstanding. Execution, not so much. Uh, (laughs) I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the filmmaker, kind of probably is, but there's definitely like the small budget issue and just the 80s in general, I guess, but the way horror just became cheap camp garbage. I mean, I'm sure you can name multiple good horror movies from the 80s, but you get my point. Uh, the the There wasn't as much, like, artistic horror. And certainly now, like, now is the time for that. It's finally realized that you can make good movies that are horror movies. All I could think of, honestly, while watching this stuff is that if John Carpenter made this movie, we would still be talking about it today. Because the concept is almost like a sister story with 
they live. And it's they live without good cinematography, acting, or writing. So (laughs) it's a little bit different. Anyway, so the main idea is these quarry workers stumble upon this white goo, okay? And here's an example of how the movie, like, doesn't really know how to write anything. The guy just picks it up with his fingers and puts it in his mouth, and he's like, this is delicious. There's no, like, why Like, why would you do that? There's a strange thing coming out of rocks, and you're like, I'm going to eat it. You know, just kind of crazy. <laughs> And so this is, it has like a dual plot, kind of. They come together, but basically everybody finds this stuff delicious. It's the most incredible thing anyone has ever eaten. It somehow has no calories. You don't gain weight, you get full, and it tastes great. And it's marketed basically like ice cream. It comes in pints and people just eat it by the spoonful and nobody can get enough of it. The store, there are entire, like, freezer, fridge aisles completely dedicated to it. Uh, And it follows a young boy who is not a very good actor, I'm sorry, and a lawyer. Is he a lawyer? He's a P.I. Something of that. He's a P.I., I believe. And the boy... His entire family is, of course, addicted to the stuff, as is, like, most of America or whatever. And one night he sees the stuff, like, somebody had spilled it over in the fridge, and it's, like, moving around. So he's, like, sworn off of it. He's like, I will not eat it. And as he tries to tell his family that, yo, this stuff is not cool... (laughs) he realizes that it has like warped their mentality and wants to stay away from it even further. But he's smart enough to recognize that and try to be low key about when he'll eat it and when he'll, when he won't, or I mean when he'll like fake eat it in front of them and how to swap it out and you know, things like that, how to be sneaky. Uh, It doesn't work, (laughs) and his family dies because essentially this stuff, when you eat it, you are now like a whole... It's basically like an alien parasite type deal. Uh, It feeds off you when you eat it, gets bigger, and then like once it fills up your space, it like leaves your body, and then you're done. You're dead, obviously, and your shell just lays on the ground, and the stuff moves on. Now, the P.I. guy is out to investigate the same type of thing, but for different reasons. See, he's hired by, like, ice cream companies, basically, to be like, fuck these guys, they're stealing my business, and they're not even FDA regulated, blah, blah, blah. And so he gets to the bottom of it, and basically that was all done by force, because they ate the stuff to try it and then became addicted to it. So then we're like, yeah, of course nothing's wrong with it. And so everybody eats it. So then he digs further and further. He ends up interacting, interlocking with the kid. I forget exactly how. It's not 
plausible, really, or important. <laughs> uh, and they kind of go and try to sabotage the company together. Uh they enlist this like army guy and then they just go like shoot up the factory. So it gets pretty absurd and off the rails. And like the pacing is weird. There's like urgency when there doesn't need to be and vice versa. And the budget's just low. So like all the actiony stuff in it looks terrible. And you know, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. And the acting is mostly bad. Again, I, I, don't blame the people involved with this movie for the reason it's not good. I just think it didn't get the support that it needed to. But, you know, whatever. Um, and then basically at the end, they... Well, first of all, the thing that's not plausible to me is that when this army guy gets... Basically, he does like a radio broadcast or maybe it's on TV where they reveal the truth, and they're like, yo, this is what's going on, this stuff will kill you, it needs to go away. The thing that doesn't make sense to me is that that worked, and they just started, like, pulling it and throwing it away. Whereas, like, wouldn't that technically ignite all of the infected people to, like, come try to stop this to happen? Now, I think that that's just the end of the movie, so they're like, well, we're just ending the movie, but there probably should have been, like, another 15, 20 minutes. Um... Because, you know, if the whole thing is everybody's addicted, it doesn't really make sense. But so they like win and then they reveal at the end that uh, there's like bootleg stuff because everybody's jonesing and they need to try to get it. And the all that the people learned at the top of the company was just that like, oh, well, we'll just put a little bit less in there and then fill it with ice cream and then people won't die. <laughs> And they're like, we're just going to keep this train going. And it is just like the perfect statement on capitalism and, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase that consumer culture. I just think if this were remade today with like, you know, solid writing, solid acting, <laughs> good special effects and just like a more refined focus on the consumerism aspect of it because it does kind of just like follow the pi guy around and like he has a relationship for like no reason and then the army dude is like i'm gonna fuck your girlfriend and he's just like okay what <laughs> and it was just weird like it's supposed to be comedy and it was funny but it's like what is the point of this you know there's a lot of kinks that need to be worked out and smoothed over but there's so much great material there to be played with. And like even just like the marketing opportunities that could go along with the movie. I mean, obviously you just sell some of it or even fake. That way you don't have to go through food shit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think there's a missed opportunity. And I think that if it went, you know, the runtime could be the same. But if they just focus more on executive stuff and showing advertisements and really getting you invested into like what's going on you know because even in the example i gave to compare they live it doesn't throw you into it it's a slow build it's like oh he's just eyeing out that 
church. Like, what's going on in that church? Then he gets in there and he's like, why do they have all these sunglasses? What's going on with these sunglasses? Then he gets the, you know what I mean? And then it, it takes a long time to develop. And by the time he has the second guy involved, you're more than halfway through the movie. You know, because it's more about showing the reality of what's actually going on. So I don't really know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but there's a connection there that needs to be made. And really just a more stylized, vision-driven interpretation of this. So I don't know. I, I doubt that that's in the works. I would love it if it were. Uh, unlikely. You know? It's another reason why it's unfortunate that I have no sway in Hollywood. <laughs> Somebody fucking hire me to run shit, okay? Because I run shit. But go watch the stuff. It's actually 1985. I just double-checked. That's my bad. Uh, but a really fun movie with a lot of potential, and you'll be entertained either way. So give it a shot. What do you say? Okay, so the last thing that I want to get into, but briefly, is this new show on FX slash Hulu, same shit, or maybe it is just on Hulu because they released the whole thing. I guess I don't really know how that works, but it doesn't matter because I don't have FX, so I don't care. Uh, this would be, this, this would be <laughs> The Bear. Set in Chicago, starring Jeremy Allen White, who you may know as Lip Gallagher from another show set in Chicago, the consistently underwhelming Shameless that ran for about five too many seasons. Good for him, though. Get your bag, Jeremy. Happy to have you as a resident. Um, every woman I've ever met that has seen this man wants to have sex with this man. Um, I see it. So, you know, kudos. Congrats. Seems like a nice dude, too. So, what a total package. <laughs> uh, hit me up, Jeremy. I'll buy you a hot dog. Okay. <laughs> so, this show is set at a fictional Italian beef institution in River North in Chicago, which, you know, not a great choice, especially based based on who the characters are. I'll get into that in a second. But ultimately, that's not really that important. And it's, as a guy who's never worked in a kitchen, but, you know, my boy Justice has been doing that for, like, a decade now. Excuse me. I'm leaving it in. This is authentic. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it's got to be the most accurate portrayal of a kitchen that has been done. In movie or TV. Now, I haven't seen every food fictional thing that's ever been made. So it's possible that's not true. But they the point is just that they went for this is what it's actually like. Like, this is the grind day in, day out. Everything always goes wrong. You're there for 12 hours a day. Everyone's mad. You know what I mean? It's just it really tries to nail all that home. They got a bunch of chefs in to, like, help them make it all look very real. A bunch of the actors took culinary training. Like they're like, this has to work as a real kitchen or the show can't work. You know, 
Because if it's just like, oh, I'm flipping a pizza, you know, and it's like, boy, isn't this crazy? You know, they really show also that everybody like cares, which is a big thing. You know, you get like waiting and shit where it's like a chain restaurant and it's really just a comedy thing. That's like a ve- the restaurant is the vehicle for it. This is almost the opposite. It's like everything that is happening to each character, they need the restaurant to like not deal with. Like everyone is going through something. I'm trying to word this carefully to not reveal too much. But basically the entire premise is looped around Jeremy Allen White's character and his brother had recently committed suicide and left him the restaurant. He was originally like a three Michelin star guy. They talk about him working at Noma, which is in like Finland or some shit. Denmark. I don't know. Uh, the French Laundry out in Napa. Stuff in New York. Things like that. Like this is a big time guy who was like the hottest chef in America. And he kind of got roped back into this. Which I mean, that's a fun concept on its own. Like a very, very, very incredible chef. Ends up working at an Italian beef restaurant. Not working at. Like, it's his. He owns it. He's the head chef. And he's trying to, like, revamp it and make it better. It's very, like, set in its old ways. And is, like, a messy, disjointed thing. And he is trying to turn it into, like, an elite kitchen that he would be used to working in. So, of course, there's conflicts with the other cooks who want it. They're old, you know, who don't want anything to change. They're resisting everything. They're not into, like, the quality aspect Uh, there's a new chef who has a similar background to him. Basically, she's just there because he's there, which also the place is already like an institution and people are lined up out the door and shit like that. But imagine if that happened, you know, like Gordon Ramsay's like, I'm opening a hot dog cart, (laughs) you know, the amount of traffic that it would get. I was going to say Grand Atchets, but. I don't know how well-known that guy is, to be honest. Like, to a common person, is he that well-known? I'm not sure. But my point is, the show is absolutely phenomenal. It's, like, labeled as a comedy, but it's mostly a drama with comic relief sprinkled in. There are some great cameos. Like, with the flashback episode to show what his older brother was like is incredible. It also helps the show because everybody is mourning and grieving this guy and all they tell you is he was addicted to pills and he killed himself but by showing what he was like you understand exactly why he meant so much to everybody and like literally everybody there's also a guy who's labeled their cousin really was just the brother's best friend that guy's going through a lot uh he's an explosive boisterous like loud guy and he doesn't want anything to change either But part of that is because he's like a lonely guy whose best friend killed himself. So there's a lot of factors at play. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I wish there was more. I watched through it basically in one sitting, fell asleep, and then just like woke up, did it again. Uh, If there was 20 episodes, I would have watched it. I hope this gets renewed. I hope the next season is longer. As long as they keep up with what they're trying to do, 
and they don't deviate from the concept and how it's not a broad comedy or anything like that, or they don't get into like somebody's personal life and that becomes the whole thing because it does kind of follow people home, but just so you can kind of see what's going on just to learn more about them, the story always is centered around the restaurant and that's huge. And also, like, the new girl coming in, she works as a vehicle for everyone who's watching to kind of learn about a restaurant as well. Because they smartly chose to have her have the fine dining background, and then she teaches everyone else. Whereas, you know, using waiting as an example, I guess, is... The easy plot for that is, oh, it's this guy's first day. So now we have to introduce him to everybody. We have to show him how to do everything so we can get the whole restaurant in and have a reason for it. Whereas this one, the restaurant is changing. So now everything we want to teach you about food and who these people are and like learn about them in an uncomfortable scenario to where the new person has to show them. So you get to learn who they really are, like what makes them tick and shit like that (laughs) um whatever but they yeah they flip the script on how that would normally go which is super clever and you kind of don't even really notice that it's happening and there's also a really good cameo that i forgot to mention when they flash back to jeremy Allen white's character at his new york like michelin star place and what it was like to work behind like one of those crazy like three michelin french chefs or like gastro what is that called molecular gastronomy guys like working at those types of places is like insane you just get berated non-stop all the time about everything because like perfection is what the goal is and it's impossible to do so So that's a sick cameo. They really show a lot of shit. Again, I'm not trying to reveal too much because I really just want everybody to watch it. So please go watch The Bear. If you're not going to listen to me ever, listen to me on this. Especially if you're, you know, 312 local. Bruh. Shy city. Okay. (laughs) Um, There's a couple things where they have these, like, dream sequences that kind of don't make sense. But it's all one piece. So things that they don't reveal in an episode where you're like, what the hell was that? It all gets taken care of later on, which I didn't think it was that type of show. So I was like, all these things are just like non sequiturs and weird and misleading, but it all ties back in very beautifully. Excellent show. The bear. Go watch it and go listen to all my episodes and rate and review and subscribe to this show. Uh, tell your friends, spread the word, check out the merch, buy some shit, listen to the music, share it, buy some shit, whatever. <laughs> um, we got to get these listeners back up. You know, the trend pre shadow ban has been completely lost and it really fucked everything up. <laughs> so we got to figure that out. But until next time, this is Requiem for a Tuesday, which I never say. I don't know why I did that. And remember, (laughs) I are fat, you are fat, we are fat. Calculator.